Hello everyone, excited for this week's episode with Sunny from Braze. We had a really great chat. Sunny has some really opinionated ideas about product marketing and I love it. He's full of conviction and I think that always makes for a great episode, so stay tuned. I think you're really gonna like this one. This podcast is a partnership with Sharebird. Sharebird.com is a peer mentoring platform. It's the place to discover on-demand resources to help you with product marketing. There are great resources and also an awesome job board on the site, so definitely check it out if you haven't already. If you have any feedback on this podcast in general, specific episodes, things you like, things you want to hear, ideas you have, topics you want to know about, please email podcasts at sharebird.com or connect with me, Marcus Andrews, on LinkedIn. Shoot me a DM. I would love to hear from you. I've heard from a bunch of people this week, uh, some people just saying like, hey, the podcast is awesome. Keep it up others sharing ideas for new episodes. Love it. Keep that feedback coming. It's really, really helpful. Uh, Drop a review in iTunes while you're at it. If you're feeling generous, really appreciate that. Shout out to our sponsor, Crayon. If you aren't familiar with Crayon, Crayon is an awesome tool for product marketers. Crayon analyzes market trends for you. It makes acting on their insights easy. This means dynamically updated battle cards, alerts, dashboards, and much more. Crayon is a great tool for marketers looking to maintain differentiated messaging, improve sales win rates, and catch important updates from competitors and much, much more. Check them out at crayon.co. All right, let's go. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Product Marketing Experts brought to you by Sharebirds. I'm your host, Marcus Andrews, and today we're diving deep into stakeholder management. The one thing everyone agrees on when it comes to product marketing is that PMM should be a uniting force inside of your company. They should create alignment and momentum and make sure sales is talking about product and product is talking to sales and so forth and so on. I agree with this. I've been working in product marketing for many years, and there's a ton of value that positioning and launches bring to companies. But in many ways, our most important job is to unite the different teams. But this is really, really challenging, and we don't really talk about how to do it. When we talk about product launches, it's often through the lens of project management or creative execution. When we talk about positioning, it's often about research or templates. But how do you juggle all the different teams involved in a launch? how do you bring together teams that are at odds? How do you report on the impact of your work? You can either learn the hard way or we can grab a product marketing expert to help us out. Sunny Manivanen is the VP of product marketing at Braze. Braze is a B2C customer engagement platform. There he leads the product marketing team and he looks after messaging, positioning, launches, pricing and packaging, industries, marketing, analyst relations, competitive intelligence, much more. Sunny is a real deep thinker on stakeholder management. So excited to dig in here with him. Sunny, how you doing? Doing well, Marcus, and it's a pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. Awesome. So, Sonny, I'm always interested to hear how people got into product marketing, and especially with you. How did you make your way to Braze into the VP of product marketing there? Sure, I can start from the beginning. I started my career as an aerospace engineer at GE, designing components for jet engines, and I have a background in engineering and mathematics. So, loved products from the very beginning, and I loved airplanes. And it was a great way, honestly, to start a career because it really teaches you a lot about detail orientation, about working together with a lot of cross-functional teams, because as you can imagine, putting together a jet engine requires thousands of people, all with very, very different skill sets. Uh, Then I went to business school. I went to Harvard Business School to get my MBA. I was at McKinsey as a consultant for a while and realized that I really liked working with clients. I just missed engineering and I missed building products. 
and being close to products and moved from Boston to San Francisco uh, to work on a startup called Zen Purchase, which we launched in late 2013. And that solution was really to help procurement departments and sourcing departments at large companies buy better and select suppliers better than they were doing and really digitize that whole process of not just selecting suppliers, but also managing relationships with those suppliers once you picked a supplier for your company. And that journey led me to signing on early customers like Tesla Motors and a few other enterprises. And that um, led to a conversation with a company called Coupa Software, which at the time was a 400-person company in San Mateo. And they were building a large spend management suite serving large enterprises as well as mid-market customers. And they ended up acquiring Zen Purchase in early 2015. And I had a great run at Coupa where I really got to see different parts of the company. I held a bunch of different roles there, including as general manager of our expenses business unit, where we competed against Concur and on the lower end of the market against Expensify. And I was also the vice president of product marketing there before I left to move on uh, to my next opportunity. At this time, our family also grew. My wife and I had our first child and we decided that we wanted to move back to the East Coast because both of us have roots here. And we decided to move back to New York in 2019. So we moved to New York in August, 2019. And I started a new job at Brace as the Vice President of Product Marketing here. And I've been here now for a little bit more than a year. And funny enough, Brace, I joined, we were at about 400 employees, similar size to where Coupa was when I joined it. And now we're at about 600 employees and doing really well. So really thrilled to uh, be a part of Braze and excited for what the future has to hold for us. Awesome. Thank you for sharing. Really, really interesting journey. Does that mean you have to be a Knicks fan now or can you still be a Celtics fan? Because I mean, I don't I think, think... I'll, I'll be I'll be a Celtics fan forever, which certainly doesn't doesn't resonate that well with some of my colleagues in New York. But, you know, once you once you've been a Celtics fan once, you've got to you've got to stick, stay, stay the course. Yeah, nobody knows. Knicks fans aren't, they're not happy to be Knicks fans, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> That's but, exactly um... right. That's exactly right. <laughs> awesome. So you had some really interesting t- like tips and lessons learned that, that you shared from your time as a product marketer. Can you just, what are your big lessons that you've learned from working in product marketing? Sure. I think my first sort of formal experience with product marketing and really in working with enterprise sales teams came at Coupa Software where I really you know, helped our mid-market business grow from what was a handful of sales reps to a business that you know, has really become one of the growth engines for Coupa, which is now a public company, by the way. We went through an IPO during the time that I was there, which was a great experience. One of the key lessons I think I learned pretty early on, and this is kind of an embarrassing story for me, but it's, I think, a story that every product marketer goes through at some point in their career. And this lesson is really about, it's not your deck, it's really the sales rep's deck. And I learned this lesson the hard way when I you know, created this beautiful deck for our mid-market business that did a great job of positioning us and who we were as a company and why we were different from our competitors and who our customers were. And the story got to be a little long and a little complex. And I didn't realize it because I've been working on it so closely and I was really a pro at presenting it by the time I was done. And I didn't really realize what the issue was until I saw some of our sales reps presented in the wild. And the interesting part about being a sales rep is you're in this meeting and yes, you have to present a deck, but you also have to be watching for verbal and nonverbal cues from every single prospect that's in the room, which sometimes can be more than a dozen people all in the same room. And you have to make sure that you are truly answering their questions while ensuring that you are positioning your company really well 
And the deck is only one small part of the meeting. And so that really was an eye-opening moment for me was watching our reps actually present this deck. And I came back and I remember simplifying like crazy. And mm. I've never found that lesson since. And in every leadership role that I've had since then, I think I've really insisted upon more simplicity and just remember that it's a sales rep's deck, not your deck. And don't make it too complex and have some empathy for their jobs and the fact that they have so much more to do than just present some slides when they're in a prospect meeting. Absolutely. Yeah. I think I've seen that come to life a little bit myself where, you know, just for product marketers, it's really important to be able to, you know, to spend some time with your sales counterparts, like in those pitches and to see how it works. Cause I do think you build a lot of empathy for them, but also, yeah, think about it, you know, it's their deck and it's, it's also sort of like, sometimes I think about my job is like, you want to provide them with all of these great raw ingredients that they can then use to build whatever it is, the thing that they need to, you know, because, uh, you can provide them the story and the talking points, but they're not, they're not robots who are going to kind of come in and really read this thing. They're going to do what's best to advance the deal. So it's a great point. So true. Lesson two, Marcus, for me is really about, and this is something that, you know, I think I'm still learning and I suspect every product marketer is somewhere on this journey. And it's really about standing up for what you believe in as a product marketer. Mm. I think too often what I have seen is product marketers, in meetings where either there are senior executives or there are a lot of folks who are in sales and talking to prospects every single day. And product marketers tend to take a backseat sometimes in these meetings. And I think that's too bad. I think that's almost always a miss for the company where product marketers don't provide any perspective. I think it's very important for PMMs to be assertive and to make sure that they are bringing the voice of the customer into those meetings. Now, you and I both know that every, you know, every internal meeting, there's never a customer present, but somebody almost always has to be that voice. And I really think it's upon the product marketer to provide that voice and to provide that perspective and to be assertive in the face of challenges. I think one of the privileges of being a product marketer is that you get to think long-term and you get to think big picture. And, you know, that's really a privilege that I don't think should be taken lightly. And when you do stand up for your entire customer base, not just the most recent deal that a rep may have closed or not closed. I think that's really a huge value add to that conversation and by extension to the whole company. Yeah. Is now, is that something that, you know, you're a VP saying this, right? Is that something that anybody, anybody at any level in product marketing can do? How do you do that if you're more junior? Yeah. Again, I think I'm maybe in the minority here. I don't really think too much about levels in a company and, you know, sometimes Certainly that can get some people into trouble and it's gotten me into trouble in the past. But what I care about first and foremost is that the company needs to win and compete in very competitive markets. I, I don't know of a single SaaS company that doesn't have a clear viable competitor in their markets. And you have to imagine that those companies and those competitors are doing really well every day and trying to give it their best shot. And so I think every single person, no matter what their level, you know, should speak up. I almost feel that you have an obligation uh, you know, to your shareholders and to your colleagues and certainly to your customers to speak up and provide a perspective. Now, you may not always get your way, but that doesn't mean that you just stay quiet and wait for this meeting to run out, which I have seen a few times in my career as a product marketer and as a product marketing leader. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I don't, you know, I don't know what it is. I, I also see this. I think maybe it's because of the cross-functional work that you are less you know, that you're, you're maybe more mindful of trying to get people to work together or something. But I agree with you. I think it's like, you don't see that in, I don't see that in sales as much, right? Like, you know, I, I definitely see a lot of salespeople who have a point of view and want to share their point of view, but product marketers don't always, but having a, a strong point of view, especially if you're bringing 
the voice of the customer, the voice of the market, the voice, you know, something from, we have all of these different teams that we work with. So we have all of this information. I agree with you. I think having a strong point of view will really help you personally in your career. And it's also good for the company, like you're saying. Yeah, you said something very interesting, Marcus, just now about sales never being afraid to speak up. You know, my hypothesis is that they really have the moral authority of really taking a financial risk with every deal. And they are engaging in hand-to-hand combat every day. And that kind of moral authority is not really shared by product marketers, where we're a little bit removed from the deals at hand in the short term. What I would suggest to product marketers who are listening to this is, you know, we may have a role that's further away from the revenue, but we also have visibility into the entire revenue base of the company. Whereas, you know, most people in sales, unless you're talking about the CRO, have some portion of the revenue or perhaps their own small patch that they know really, really well. But nobody really has that full 360 view like a product marketer does. So I think any product marketer out there who feels like they need to take a step back and really just listen even though they may have something to share, I would really encourage them to share it openly you know, and engage as partners with the sales team and with their other colleagues. Yeah, totally agree. And you made a point earlier too, like, you know, we have this, we have the ability to think a little bit longer term than some of these teams like sales too. And, and we have this macro view, we're thinking long-term, it's really valuable POV. I was mentioning in my upfront, you know, I hear when I, a lot of the times when I hear CEOs or leaders talk about the value of product marketing. You know, they want these, they want this glue. They want this team that'll help unite all of these different teams. Do you think about product marketing like that? Is that part of, is that where stakeholder management comes in? What are your thoughts on that just generally? Yeah, it's a very interesting question, Marcus. I think glue is a pretty interesting metaphor here. You know, you want to stick together certainly as one company and product marketing plays a big role in that, in uniting these different functions and ensuring that people are aligned. But what I would suggest is that you also can't get too comfortable being so close to each other and getting along because every single day, there's a huge market opportunity out there that's just waiting to be taken. And perhaps a competitor takes it and is paying more attention to what are the changes that are happening in the marketplace or something else goes on where your customer behaviors are changing. Somebody's got to watch out for what's happening outside of the four walls of your company. And I really feel that yes, part of product marketing's role is to be the glue within the company, but it's also to really move the collective company as a whole toward a destination. Uh, And that destination really in my eyes is trying to build a more perfect company every single day. And I see the role of product marketing more like a Sherpa where you're not really getting the credit and it's really not a job where you're front and center and you know, you're sending out wind notices and your name is, you know, up in bright lights. It's really a job where you are helping other people see above a wall, right? They should be able to stand on your shoulders and you're really guiding people up the mountain to whatever promised land uh, exists for each of these individual folks across the company. And then you're doing it all over again, whether it's with the next sales rep or whether it's with a new product launch or whatever it is that you're moved on to next. So it's really, you know, it's part glue, but I think the better analogy that I always think about is, you know, product marketing is really the Sherpa that's helping other people reach their own promised land. Okay. So the way you're describing product marketing is pretty strategic, right? Like, like product marketing is not always the most strategic role at every company. Sometimes it can be very tactical. You know, if I'm a director of product marketing and I want to, I want to push my team to become more strategic. How do you do that? How have you, how have you helped get more strategic versus being super tactical at Braze and just in your experience? You know, number one, I think you have to earn the right to 
be you know to be seen as a strategic player within the company. And what I what I personally mean by earning the right is you've got to go talk to your customers. You've got to go sit in on prospect meetings or now listen to prospect meetings, which are sometimes recorded in most companies now. You have to really find out across the company what are each department's key priorities, where are they requiring help, struggling a little bit, and just help. And that's sort of what our approach was at Braze over the last year. And by the way, I had the privilege of walking into a team with really strong product marketers already in place. And we've just been able to recruit some more great people. And I think as a collective, what we've been able to do is really take that problem solving approach and believing honestly that no problem is too small. And again, it's that Sherpa mindset, right? Of just saying, I'm gonna help you person next get to the promised land. And I take a lot of pride in that. And that gives me a lot of joy at work. And then I'm gonna get to do it again for somebody else at the company. And hopefully in the process of doing this over and over again, you create repeat customers. And that leads to you being invited to the conversations that Mm. are really strategic and determine the future direction of the company. And again, it's the same sort of mindset of, well, how do I ensure the best outcome from this conversation? How do I ensure that we are building a slightly more perfect company as a result of this discussion? And I think if you just kind of run that playbook over and over again, and you really take an approach that's predicated completely on doing the right thing for the company and building the greatest company possible, I just think all this other stuff takes care of itself. Yeah. Yeah. And I think when you have those insights and you're delivering that value, you will get invited to those strategic meetings. Like you're saying, I've seen that in my personal experience as well. So what, one thing you were talking about in terms of impact and measurement of product marketing was really interesting to me. And so I'll just tee you up for it. But what do you think is the biggest issue you see happening in product marketing right now? I see product marketing as a function bifurcating right now. I see this great bifurcation happening where I believe there's a you know, there's a decent percentage of product marketers out there still who are too focused on effort and metrics like, for example, I put out X number of data sheets or I released X, you know, Y number of collateral pieces in the last quarter and not focused enough on measurable results. That's one symptom I typically see. The other symptom I see is people who are too focused on satisfaction of their internal customers instead of focusing on success of their internal customers. This whole satisfaction versus success debate, I think is so near and dear to me because I've seen many, many promising careers just take a pause because people just want to get along in product marketing with everybody else at the company. And they fail to put, put out a perspective that may lead to a better outcome and a better answer. And you do that enough times, what ends up happening is you end up not getting invited to those strategic conversations because people don't believe that you have a perspective to offer. But I see a lot of product marketers doing that because the role is so cross-functional and you know, ultimately everybody does to a certain extent need to um, be able to collaborate with each other and build productive relationships. But I see product marketers focus sometimes too much on satisfaction of their internal customers rather than success. And the other symptom I see is you know, people who spend too much time on internal meetings that are very process heavy and not enough time out in the market listening to prospects, listening to customers, listening to analysts who can often be a great source for information and insight that you may not be privy to. And I think, you know, what I would ask anybody listening to this is if you're in this category and you find yourself kind of stuck here, um, and by the way, you have to be pretty honest with yourself about whether you are in this category or not. I would suggest you're not maybe best positioned to take advantage of all the great tailwinds that are happening in the broader role. I think, as you said, Marcus, product marketing is becoming a more strategic function. 
And there are a lot of really talented people in this function across several companies that are doing great work. And I think, you know, if you're truly achieving your potential and, you know, you commit to doing that and playing a major role in helping your company win more, win bigger, and win forever, then I think in my view, there's no better job in enterprise software. Yeah. Yeah. I see that too. You know, it's very easy to get caught to be an internal, to solve for an internal customer as a product marketer. And that is not the role. I do think that, you know, there's a certain level of buy-in and support that you need to be good at stakeholder management and that sort of thing. But I mean, to your point, that's like, you can be in that all day long and really lose your strategic viewpoint of the customer and the market and the role. I think it's really helpful that like, you know, this podcast is great for me from that standpoint, because I get to talk to a lot of product marketers and just get outside of my own head a little bit when it comes to these things. And uh, I think that's another place where it's very valuable for people to just be talking to other people who aren't your company. But yeah, you know, it's great advice. It's very easy now, whether it's through Gong or through whatever, to listen to sales calls and to get on the phone with real people who will give you that perspective. I spent a ton of my time this week talking to analysts and it was really refreshing and interesting just to hear their questions and hear what they care about. I would love to disagree with you here. It's kind of a controversial thing, Sonny, but I think you're right. I think people need to get out of those internal meetings and talk to more customers, get out into the world more. Absolutely. The one thing I'll add to that, Marcus, is you know I do, I do have some empathy for folks who find themselves stuck in this situation because it's much easier to walk out of a meeting feeling like everybody still likes you Right. And it is to advance a viewpoint that is controversial. And by the way, you could be wrong. And somebody could tell you very abruptly in that meeting that you're wrong. And I really believe that fear holds a lot of people back. And you know, by the way, I've had several people tell me I'm wrong over my career and they were correct. They were correct to tell me I was wrong, but that's okay because I learned from that mistake and I become a better product marketer the next day when I show up to work again. And that leads to, again, a better company. And I, you know, what I would suggest to a lot of these folks who are in this situation, is it's okay to be wrong. It's okay to fail by saying something that is wrong or let's say somebody disagrees with you and you feel really stupid. That's okay. You'll just show up the next day and you'll be a little smarter and you'll have the chance to reflect. And that's really how you improve and how you build a career. Yeah, absolutely. Being okay with that failure. I also think it's a cultural thing too. You know, it's like a certain level of conflict is, is really good in, in businesses, right? And like it can go over overboard, but I think you like, if you have that environment where people where there's where trust is high and psychological safety is high, like, you know, it's a disagreeing is not an issue, but you've got to be confident and, and be able to take that on. So it's a good, it's a good push. I think it's really good feedback. And I think a lot of people are dealing with that. One question that I have for you, and it's kind of on a similar topic of conflict here is that like, you know, let's say you are, this is from your Sherbert AMA. I really like the question. Let's say you're, you know, PMM leader and you're on a PMM team and you are, trying to launch a product, you're trying to run a campaign and you've got a historically tense relationship between, you know, let's say like product management and sales and you're kind of stuck in the middle of it. Like, how do you go about fixing that or working through that? Or just, how do you think about that? I I love this question. I think (laughs) the relationship between product marketing, product management and the relationship between product marketing and sales are two of the most interesting relationships in, in all of enterprise software. Yeah. I, I can take each one. I can take each one in a row. I think with product management, there is a temptation to get very stuck on formal definitions of ownership. And that kind of conversation needs to happen at some point. And it probably needs to happen once a year, but it shouldn't happen much more often than that. And the reason I say that is that's, that conversation is almost always a race to the bottom 
where you have that debate for 30 minutes on, well, who really owns a product launch? Who really owns naming? Who really owns what the key messages are? Who owns customer communications? And you get stuck after 30 minutes of this meeting, or the other thing I've seen happen is you agree in that meeting, but then people just forget because the natural flow of the business just requires that you are all doing so much and there's so much happening and no two launches are the same. I think it's product marketing's job to provide some structure and some scaffolding, but not to be too strict on who owns what, because that creates just unnecessary conflict with product management, right? Because you're not really thinking about how do we build a better product and how do we build a better company? You're talking about, well, how do we slice up the pie between the two of us? And the few times that I've had that conversation, I always just walked out feeling pretty, you know, feeling like I wasted my time and I wasted the other person's time in that meeting. So the flip side is that there is a push and pull between product management and product marketing. And as long as you at the highest levels have a trust-based relationship, and frankly, you know, I think with all the product managers that I've worked with, it's been a friendship because you get to know each other so well that you end up developing a great relationship outside of work as well. And as long as you have that really trusted relationship, I think you can get through all these sort of tie-breaking questions. And I would really advise product marketers not to be too picky about who owns what. Now, if there is a situation that just keeps recurring over and over again, and it's leading to bad outcomes for the company, then yes, that conversation needs to be had. But in my experience, I haven't found that really to be the case. And I think a once a year conversation is more than enough uh, in terms of clarifying roles and responsibilities across product and product marketing. Now, that's the first, that's the first relationship. The second important relationship is with sales. And the sales product marketing relationship is, I think, just so fascinating because in order for the relationship to be productive, you pretty much have to have conflict on a pretty regular basis because the two functions have just completely different mindsets. Sales reps that are great closers, right? Uh, tend to be just that, they are great closers, which means that they have to have a short memory for what happened three months ago, right? You can't be wallowing in defeat because the next quarter is already here. And you know you are, you know, in many ways, defining yourself by your most recent win. And you remember your most recent loss, but nothing beyond that. Whereas in product marketing, you know, we're, I think we're most successful when we think long-term when we are taking the big picture. And, you know, we, regardless of what background we come from, we, I think, tend to take a very much more data-driven approach to what's going on. And we also have access to a lot more data than even sales leaders do sometimes. So there's that natural sort of tension between two people looking at the same picture and seeing completely different things. And that I've seen happen back and forth with sales and product marketing. And, you know, especially in the early days of relationship with sales and product marketing, there tends to be a fair amount of conflict as both parties are kind of understanding what the other, you know, is product marketing is trying to understand what uh, sales is really seeing in the marketplace and whether that aligns with what um, the data says and what product marketing themselves are hearing from the marketplace. And the sales is trying to understand what value are these guys bringing to me? How are they going to help me win more deals and win bigger deals and, you know, win over the next X years as a sales team or as a sales rep? And so there's a sort of push and pull in the early days. And I think that's almost necessary. Every relationship that I've had with sales leaders and sales reps has started with some sort of conflict, but over time, you really gain such a great mutual respect for the other, uh, for the other department's role. And more importantly, you gain great empathy for the other role. Sales is a really hard job. And you know, anybody who's spent even you know, a few months having to carry a bag or having to go earn business just immediately understands why that job is difficult. And I think when you can do that in product marketing, you have that empathy 
that relationship gets better and better over time, but there's always going to be conflict and that is okay. To me, I will go as far as to say that if you're not conflicting with your sales leaders, and if you're not disagreeing really, you know, with your sales leaders sometimes here and there, then, you know, somebody's not trying hard enough. Yeah. Uh, I, I think that you, you need to have a conflict, you need to have the discussion and you need to disagree and be able to see the other viewpoint and arrive at a point that hopefully neither one of you would have gone to by yourself. And that, you know, again, I've said this before, leads to a better company, leads to a more perfect company in the long term. And that's really what you're trying to build over time. So again, you know, with the, with the product management relationship, I think my key lesson there is, you know, don't be so picky and don't hold them to the letter on exactly who owns what, because there's just so much happening so quickly and they have so many responsibilities as well. And with sales, I think it's to welcome conflict and to just have that be a part of the relationship and nobody freaks out the seventh time that you disagree in a meeting, because by then it's just part for the course and both of you trust that you are getting to a better outcome as a result of collaborating with each other. Yeah. And I, and I think I'm agreeing with a lot of what you're saying here too, Sonny. And I think the thing that the PMM needs to know too is need, they need to be aware of these differences, right? These nuances, because like I tell my team this, that uh, it's okay to tell salespeople to like buzz off, right? It's okay to, to be like, no, we're not going to do that because they will come and they will ask and it's okay. And they will not take it personally. They will bounce back. All the things that you're saying, I've seen to be totally true. Uh, but it's a slightly different situation, like with our own marketing team at HubSpot, right? Like you just, you can't approach situations the same way. And if someone asks you for something or if there's something you need to deliver, you can't just say no, like you would with the sales team. You have to go about it differently. So I, I just think it's good for PMMs to be, you know, aware of these nuances and then know how to work with the teams. And then your other points around working with product management, I just want to double down on the things that I thought were really interesting is that between product marketing and product management, who owns what? There's all these questions around swim lanes and et cetera. And, it's, and I think you're right. It's like, who cares, right? It's like, there's, you can build guidelines for the team, but if you over-architect this stuff, it just stops making sense. One, you come out of that meeting and nobody cares, nobody remembers. But also like you, you could have a PM who's very non-technical or you could have a PM who's, uh, you know, very very technical and they work on a more technical product and they're not good at anything related to communications. And as the PMM, I think you need to be able to, to deal with that and work with your PM and your project management team in the, in the right way that makes sense. And maybe that means you do different stuff and like, that's okay. But I think those guidelines over strict rules make so much more sense as you scale. So yeah, just, you know, those are the, the points that I really like that you're making there. Yeah, absolutely. Marcus, I really believe that Again, based on what you've just said, the secret I think is to be assertive. Don't be too passive. Don't just sit there and be quiet and regret it later. And don't be too aggressive, right? Have some empathy for the other person and know that you don't have to have all the answers. Sometimes, as you mentioned in your example about product management, I'll give you a classic example, right? Product marketing typically owns product naming, but in the course of building a feature, product management has to name the feature something. And often when it comes to a launch, you'll find that, hey, we may have to change the name or, or, or something like that will come up, right? And in my experience, more often than not, the product manager will come up with a pretty great name. And it's something where they've done a lot of comparative research, they've, done, they've talked to users, and they now have context that perhaps the product marketer doesn't always have because there's so much work going on. And the product marketer would be, the, the right thing to do as a product marketer there is to say, thank you very much, and I'm going to take this and run with it. And that's okay. That requires some humility, but that's okay. And again, you know, if you stick to this sort of strict ownership framework, 
you know, what are you going to say? You're, you're going to tell the product manager that they can't use this great name. That's not good for the company, right? And I think it, it, that's really what I mean by some flexibility in um, how you sort of approach this ownership question. And that's true with product management certainly, but also with other functions at the company. Yeah, absolutely. And, and naming is, we could talk forever about naming, but it's totally one of those things where like, yeah, I've, I've personally, at first I'm like, oh great, I'm going to get these name, these products. It's going to be exciting. It's going to be fun. But naming can, be, can just be a terrible process because there's so many opinions on it and it's, you want to try and get market validation. It's really tough, but yeah, I'm with you. Oftentimes it's just the, I think we've always taken a, an approach of call it what it is. And if, you know, if that's your approach to call it what it is, product is probably going to name it something that's really good. So I think it's a great, great example. I love this question. I want to get into this one. Let's talk about metrics, right? So like, how do you measure the success of product marketing at Braze? What does that look like? Yeah. So at Braze, I've had now a few years to think about how do you measure the success of this function? Because this is such an all time slippery function. It is so easy to just go down the slippery slope of trying to satisfy everybody and what you end up being when you just do that over time is a glorified design team. You end up making pretty decks and you write all this fancy copy. And which, by the way, most fancy copy just doesn't work because people don't have time to read all this, all these big words. Mm -hmm. But, you know, I've seen product marketing teams get to that position and it's really too bad. It's really, you know, in my eyes, it's, it's a tragedy because there's a lot of talented people who work in this function, again, at companies of all sizes. And so what, you know, when I started the Judd Brace, I really wanted to make sure that we measured our success and measured our impact on the company's success. And so what we do now at Brace is every quarter, the product marketers that are responsible for products and services within the company uh, compile what we call a state of the union report. And inside the state of the union report, we measure three main metrics. Number one, we measure uh, within the previous quarter, the number of net new wins for that product. We do our best to allocate revenue by product. You know, what is the overall revenue for each product? And what is the overall win rate? We try to measure average selling price. And also we look at, you know, if we had customer churn that quarter, you know, how much churn do we have? And what were some of the reasons for that? So that's one, that's sort of the business as a whole for that product line and for that set of product lines. The second is each product marketer every quarter, you know, is required to go talk to at least three customers and to go do interviews with three customers. What do they like about the product? What do they hate? What do they wish it did that it doesn't do today? What do they integrate with your product? All this information is again, very valuable for product management and for the company and just understanding what your customers are actually doing with your product. And again, you know, to my earlier point, it gets you out of the office. It gets you out of your four walls and out of all these process meetings and into the people who really are the only objective source of truth which are your customers. Uh, the third metric we measure is product adoption. How many of you are paying customers actually using your product? And you know, each product is interesting because adoption metrics may vary by product depending on what you want your customers to do with it and how you measure their success with your product. Um, for the customers that use your product a lot, why do they use it so much? And are there any less you can gain from those customers that you can then transfer to other customers in the form of enablement? And then the last piece is, now that we have these three metrics of the business metrics, uh, the customer interviews and you know what do your customers actually want from your product wanting from your product and then how are they using your product in terms of adoption the last piece of the state of the union report is what is this individual product marketer going to do in the next quarter to help improve metrics one two and three and we just started really getting into this cadence over the last couple of quarters and the feedback from product marketing and from the folks who are seeing this information within the company 
is one for product marketing, it's very helpful to be able to just take a step back and to work on this report for a few days, you know, at the beginning of a new quarter to look at what happened the previous quarter. And for other folks in the company, it's the first time they're seeing the sort of consolidated information about a product line or about a part of the business that they normally wouldn't get, right? You have to go in four different meetings to get this level of consolidation and product marketing is just bringing it all to you, to your desktop. And that's a lot of value add right there. And so that to me, I think those metrics are really important. And, you know, if as a product marketer, you are seeing your product one, gain new customers every quarter, sure, not that many customers, if at all, and your customers that bought the product are using it more and more every single quarter, well, that's a really successful product. And you're going to do what you can to just keep that flywheel going. Now, on the other hand, if you have the opposite situation where maybe, you know, it's not, I've been lucky that in the companies that I worked at, it hasn't been this dire, but I can see situations where you're not winning that many new deals for a product, your customers are churning, then what do you do, right? You got to go in there early and triage quickly and really, you know, stop the bleeding in many ways. And that also is a huge value add that a product marketer can bring to the table. And so it really comes down to measuring the business as a whole and across the full customer lifecycle and then realizing here's what I'm going to do with this data that I now have. And I'm going to see what happens next quarter and whether the things I actually did had an impact on these metrics. And I'm just going to keep doing it quarter after quarter. So you sort of get into that quarterly cadence. And now you're thinking like a business owner. Now you're thinking like a strategist rather than just being somebody who makes other people's slides. Yeah, I think that's great. I really like the operating system that creates too, right? Because, uh, Product marketing can be, you can end up, you know, working on a lot of different things at once and losing focus. And I think that if you, every quarter, if you're saying, this is the health of my product, these are the business issues or successes or whatever, and then here's how I'm going to go and impact them. I think that keeps you very, you know, focused on a clear North star, which I'm sure is helpful. We have like a similar kind of memo process that I think is, is great. And so I like that a lot. It must force people out of like the playbook mentality, right? Because you can't just take a one size fits all playbook and apply it to your product without you're asking people to specifically build plans to hit these, to impact these metrics, good or bad, right? And you can't just say, here's the formula, apply it to everybody. You must have to think pretty critically and creatively here based on this, I imagine. Is that right? Yeah, that's absolutely right, Marcus. And uh, what you said actually brings to mind just one thing that I've always believed in my career, and I've strived to do this wherever I possibly can. And now it's a privilege to you know, be able to lead other folks and try to do the same thing. I, I think what people miss when they think about playbooks first is the fact that, you know, and a lot of folks make this mistake at every level of, of companies, right? People believe that problem identification is the same as problem solving. And where, the, where you will see this, and I can, tell, I can tell you exactly where you would see this in a meeting at your company, and this is true for anybody listening. Where you see this is people look at some data and they, you know, the data shows some sort of trend and that trend may highlight a problem. And somebody will call out in the meeting or the person presenting will call out, well, here's the problem and here's what we're gonna do about it. And I think there's two issues with that. One, you actually don't know what the problem is because all you know is that there is a problem based on what the data is telling you. You have identified that there is an issue, but you have to dig way, way deep and you got to talk to customers and you got to go very granular. And by the way, most people are not doing that and they don't want to do 
it because there's a thousand excuses that people use. The most common one I hear is, well, it's not, you know, this approach of talking to a few customers won't scale because we have hundreds of customers. Well, if a problem is affecting 200 customers, you're not going to figure out that there's a problem affecting 200 customers until you figure out that there's a, you know, why there's a problem for the first three customers that have this problem. And for that figuring out process to happen, for that solving process to happen, you have to go talk to those people yourself. You have to go all the way down deep and you have to go to the most granular piece of what could be causing this issue. And there may be a few of those, right? And you got to just systematically one by one eliminate causes uh, of this problem. And you can never feel confident that you have solved the problem until you, you know, really feel comfortable at the lowest level of this issue. And what I see often is people conflating problem, problem identification or problem recognition with problem solving. And I think, you know, again, takes you away from being a strategist and really helping build a better company. I think most problems are solved at the very, very lowest point at sort of the base unit, not at the top level. That's just the data that tells you that there's an issue. Yeah. And to do that, I think is, is really challenging and it takes time because you have to be able to kind of zoom in and out, right? You know, you're talking about like being strategic and looking at like the big picture, but then you're going to, I'm going to go in and I'm going to talk to individual customers and figure out how is this manifesting with them? Or like, what are they telling me? It's tough, but I like it. So I would love to just know, like, what do you think about the career of product marketing? Is it a good place to be right now? What do you think about its future? Yeah. As we talked about a little bit earlier, Marcus, I think one certainly is a great place to be. There's a lot of tailwinds, right? There are CEOs, and more and more CEOs every day who realize the value of having a world-class product marketing function. That's good, right? There's more board members who are not realizing that. That's great. And as you and I know, you know, enterprise software is still in the very, very early innings. And I think over the next two to three decades, we'll transform how we all work and I think live as well. So that's also good. So you have a bunch of tailwinds that are supporting product marketing as a function and leave it in good stead over the next few decades. Now, like I said before, I see this great bifurcation happening. And this is hopefully a very empathetic call to action for product marketers who find themselves stuck, focusing too much on effort, focusing too much on satisfying your internal customers and not on ensuring their success, not on ensuring their wins. If you're spending too much time on time sucking internal meetings, not enough time listening to your prospects and customers. If you're in this category, you really should go talk to the leaders at your company and I think ask for a change and say, here's my agenda. Here's where I want to contribute to the company. And here's why I believe that I can do it better than anybody else can and why it's a value to you. I would make that case and I would get out of that satisfaction mindset as soon as possible and move to a success mindset. And I think when a product, market, product marketer can do that, then they start truly achieving their potential. Then that team starts truly achieving, uh, achieving its potential. And you'll just see it. You'll see it all over the company. You'll see repeat internal customers who will not pull you into projects and pull your teammates into projects. You will see yourself invited to more great meetings and strategic meetings than you even have time for. That is a great product marketing function. And that usually, in my experience, leads to great companies. And yeah. I'll leave it at that. All right, everybody. Listen to Sonny. Have a point of view. Don't be afraid to share it. Don't shy away from conflict. Get out of so many damn internal meetings and go talk to customers. We're going to do it, Sonny. We're going to do it. I really appreciate you coming on the show. Thanks so much for giving us uh, some of your time. Thank you so much, Mark. This is a pleasure.
It's alright. 